Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of the Extra Point Podcast. My name is Parker McGoldrick. I am the church planning resident here at First Family. We are, as Todd said, and as I'm saying now, we are planting Ankeny Gospel Church next spring, spring of 2022, right here in Ankeny. And uh, if if the Lord is putting planting on your heart or um, you want to join us come April when we launch, we would love to talk to you, to have you. So if you have any questions about church planting um, or the church plant, AGC, Ankeny Gospel Church, please email me at parker at ankenygospel.com. Pretty straightforward. We like to keep things simple. My dad always said, Parker, boy, he called me boy, use the kiss method. Keep it simple, stupid. So that's what I'm trying to do. Anyway, uh, we talked on Sunday about Ephesians. I had the privilege of preaching uh, Ephesians 6, 5 through 9, and we talked on Sunday about slaves and masters. There were two things in particular I wanted to extrapolate on or have an extra point on in this Extra Point podcast. The first is the um, the addressees of Paul. What I mean by that is Paul talks to people in these in the in the last two chapters of Ephesians, right? He talks to wives, he talks to husbands, he talks to children, he talks to those are his addresses. He addresses them, right? Um, and I don't think we we mentioned this, but how one there's two things. One, the fact that he addressed them in the first place is insane. And then how he addressed them is likewise insane. So think about this. First century Rome. We have uh, texts. We historians have dug up texts and documents of you know doctors or lawyers or politicians or um, centurions, and the culture of the first century Rome was a it was a patriarchal society. Now I know that word has a lot of baggage, but try to remember what we talked about on Sunday is trying to uh, contextualize ourselves to the Bible. Let's not bring our own definitions onto this. But it was a patriarchal society. What that means is that the man of the house or of the business or whatever was it. He was in charge, flat out. Period. And we see this because the man's role was threefold. Uh, a good man in Rome in the first century was, mm, excuse me, a good man. In Rome, in the first century, was three things. He was a husband, he was a father, and he was a master. If you go to any average Roman household in the first century, the expectation is that the dude is a father, a uh, or sorry, a husband, a father, and a master. Actually, in that order, they called it the household code. Now, I'm not saying I agree with this. Patriarchal society is bad, right? Because basically, they could just view their wives, their children, and their slaves as property, and they could do whatever they wanted, and it was it was awful. So, but we have documents of from Aristotle too, even where they're addressing the patriarch, and uh, they talk to the the guy about how he should treat his wives, about how he should treat his children, and about how he should treat his slaves. And it is, guys, if you read it, you know, if you're bored and you want to read some ancient philosophy from Aristotle. Uh, it is awful. I mean, it is just, um, I mean, it talks about, it talks so poorly about women and wives. It talks terribly about children. It views them as, as, uh, just like leverage for economic, uh, success and same with slaves. I mean, it doesn't even treat them as humans. It is awful, but it's addressed to the man who is the husband, the father, and the master. So, we get to Ephesians, and Paul does what? He adopts that pattern, right? We see him talking to husbands. We see him talking to fathers. We see him talking to masters. He adopts that pattern, but he does two things that are 
very uh, subversive. He adapts it. He adopts some, but he adapts a lot of it. And what he does is he actually addresses the women, the wives, the children, and the slaves. This never happened. It was uh, it was culturally it was basically cultural suicide if you addressed the the wives, the children, and the slaves because you are then associating with them and you should not associate with them because you are above them. So one, he addresses them. Two, he addresses them first. He doesn't start husbands, love your wives. He starts wives. Then he starts children. Then he starts slaves. That is intentional by Paul. Paul is saying, Paul is giving identity to, he is giving moral accountability to these people that otherwise have no moral accountability. All they do is just do whatever the, the husband or the, the patriarch has all the moral accountability. These people, they don't have any moral accountability. They're, they're nobodies, right? And Paul, one, addresses them, and then two, addresses them first, basically saying, look, you guys are also part of the family of God. Your status does not define you. Your um, um, situation in life does not define you. So I thought that was pretty cool. Second thing I want to talk about, which I definitely mentioned on Sunday, is this idea that if Paul talks about slavery, does that mean he endorses it? If Paul talks about slavery and he says, slaves, obey your masters, does that mean he endorses it? And I said the answer on Sunday was absolutely emphatically no. But I want to answer the question, well, then why did he talk about them at all? Why didn't he say, slaves, be free, you're free in Christ, so be free in real life. Masters, be, uh, you know, get rid of your slaves. You actually have a master, Lord, who's in heaven, so you're a nobody. Why didn't he abolish the institution of slavery in his letters? There's a, a lot of reasons. The first, uh, and I think the most important, is because Paul was careful to make sure that Christianity was not seen as a revolution, right? Now, you might be thinking like, well, no, it revolutionized the whole world. Yes, it did. The kingdom on, on, uh, of heaven coming down to earth is absolutely, it will change everything. But Rome, remember, Rome had no problem. If there, if there was any whiff of a revolution, if there was any whisper of anarchy, and well, we know it as Marxism, but Marxism wasn't a thing then. If there was any whisper of that, Rome would have no problem just crucifying an entire city on the spot. It would be nothing. I mean, they would just do it and they wouldn't blink twice about it. So one, there's this element where Paul is saying like, okay, I need to be wise here because I don't want Christianity to be seen as a revolution. There were other sects of Jew Judaism and Christianity that were revolutionary and none of them survived. Think about the zealots, um, Peter, uh, the zealot, Simon Peter, before Christ got a hold of him, he was a revolutionary. Um, the Maccabees, there's a historical uh, character, something Maccabees, and they basically were trying to say death to Rome, and they, they all died. All of them died. And um, so Paul, what he doesn't want to do is he doesn't want to be associated with that because he doesn't believe in that, right? The, the message of Christ is not let's go dominate our enemies. The message of Christ is let's be a countercultural, subversive, um, let's live in where we're at, let's live in the location we're at, let's not be, you know, these separatists that just leave, and let's not be these revolutionaries, let's live here, but let's do it in such a way that glorifies God and realizes that the Lord actually is the only king. So there's that. Another reason why Paul doesn't flat out say, you know, death to the emperor, let's abolish slavery altogether, he, in 1 Timothy 6, 1, he, met, he makes a very uh, profound comment. 
in First Timothy 6, he, Paul is urging Christians, it's a very similar passage, he's urging Christian slaves to honor their masters. And then he says this, so that, so the reason that slaves should honor their masters is so that the name of our God and our teaching might not be blasphemed. What does that mean? That means that if, if, if slaves all of a sudden revolted, then the teaching, it, that would have been so, I know it's normal to us because we don't have slavery in America anymore, but that would have been so revolutionary that nobody, nobody in their right, right mind who didn't know Christ would want to come to know Christ. It would, in, in Paul's words, it would blaspheme the name of God and our teaching. And remember, this is so, so, so long before the idea of emancipation and abolition of slavery was even conceivable. So there's that. A third reason, and actually this is very, very uh, a beautiful letter, the letter of Paul to Philemon in the New Testament. There, basically, there's this runaway slave, Onesimus. He, he might have stolen from Philemon. He, he ran away from Philemon, and he runs into Paul, and Paul talks to him. Uh, Onesimus, the slave, the runaway slave, he accepts, uh, he's saved by the gospel. He is saved by Jesus Christ. He becomes a believer. Um, he has new life in Christ. And now Paul encourages Onesimus to go back to the master that he ran away from. It's insane. It's a short, like a third of a page, two thirds of a page in your Bible, but it is a beautiful letter. And Paul in this letter, he's kind of schmoozing. It's really funny. He's kind of schmoozing uh, Philemon. He's like, Philemon, you know that I'm I'm your father in Christ, and because uh, uh, Paul um, led Philemon to the Lord as well, so he knew him. Uh, you know that I'm your father in Christ, blah blah blah, and I'm you know I would love to visit you. I know that you are. I know that you are of Christ, and that you are lovely, and that you love the Lord. And you so in that sense, invite Onesimus back, not as a slave, but as a fellow brother in Christ. What Paul is saying is saying, do not treat Onesimus or view Onesimus or receive Onesimus back as a slave, but rather a brother. This is probably one of the most revolutionary things that Paul does. It's not explicit, but it's implicit because if, if the norm for a runaway slave would just be to kill them. And Paul is like, no, you are actually, this is now your brother in Christ. So treat him the same way. And at the end of the letter, he's like, by the way, I'm coming back uh, in a few months. So have a room uh, ready for me. And I hope that you um, treat Onesimus as your brother. So those are some reasons. Those are some, like culturally, we have to understand that Paul is dealing, is treading on thin ice here. He wants the word of God to go forth, but he doesn't want to do it in a revolutionary way because then Rome would have just, you know, squashed on them. And not saying that the church would have not grown and God would have not found another means for his church to grow. But um you have to you have to you have to have wisdom in this, uh, and those three examples of of, um, of of scripture help confirm that. So, hope that was helpful. Hope that was encouraging, uh, maybe a little bit insightful, and uh, meditate on this passage. Meditate on what's going on. Um, think about it. Talk about it. Mull it over in your mouth. You know, do what Ezekiel did and eat the book. Um, because that is what we're called to do. And when we do that, we are like a tree planted by streams of water. And, um, we are blessed in the Lord. So thank you uh, for listening, and uh, we will see you later.